1: Well, hi again, everyone. I'm 1010 Win Sports Director Mark Renee. This is a podcast edition of On the Mark. We take a look at the stories behind the stories in the world of sports, and we have a rare treat today. It's a guy who joins a very short list of two-time On the Mark guests. Jeff Perlman is with us. He is the author of the new book called Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. Mr. Perlman, good morning. Thank you for joining me. at such an early hour for you out in California.
0: I just want to say, people I ask repeatedly, oh, why'd you write this book? Why'd you write this book? There's only one answer. It's to get back on the show. That is the only <laughs> motivation. So I am here. I made it. I'm telling you now, the book sucks. Don't buy it. I just wanted to get back on show.
1: Now the show. Dream the book, done. The book is great. And by the way, the <laughs> list is you and Billie Jean King. So you're in oh, a rarefied air, man.
0: I want three. I want, to, I want to do something better than Billie Jean King.
1: You're going to have to come out with another book then. All right, fair enough. All right. First of all, um, condolences on Norma, but uh, congratulations on your new puppy, Uh, Poppy. I believe is the name.
0: Yeah, Poppy. Thank you. A (laughs) Bernadoodle. She is a Bernadoodle, and uh, she seems like a. She's been here for two and a half days. She seems like a very nice dog actually.
1: Okay, and how big will she get?
0: Very small, like a kind of like a bread box. Not very big.
1: Okay. Um, Anyway, let's move on, uh, because we do have a lot to talk about and and very little time. Um, Jeff, in case you uh, have forgotten or didn't know, also wrote uh, Football for a Buck about the USFL, and uh, a certain uh, former owner of the New Jersey Generals, who has gone on to other things in his life, uh, also wrote Showtime, and frankly, too many others to name in the very short time that we have uh jeff i want to get right to the point about three ring circus uh i will edit this part uh for um air if you will but it seems to me that kobe um god rest his soul comes off a bit as a
0: am i wrong (laughs) i mean he was young and arrogant and thought he was going to be great and had these aspirations of being immediately great and didn't really want to wait. And yeah, I mean, he showed up his first, he showed up at the very beginning and said um, in his first Laker meeting and said, my name's Kobe Bryant. I'm from lower Marion High school. And nobody here is going to punk me. And that was kind of his introduction and sort of set a tone. And he just, he came determined. I remember his dad was an NBA player, Jelly Bean Bryant, a former NBA player. So he did have an idea of what it took to make in the league. I think he came very determined. I'm going to set this tone. The not is going to treat me like some high school kid. I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm harder than that. And it did not rub people the right way. There's no doubt about it. It did not.
1: How long did it take him to really get into people's good graces after that? Because, you know, they say a first impression lasts a long time. And obviously his talent willed out eventually, but but how long did it take for him to really, you know, get get himself ingrained into the NBA? family so to speak
0: um years and years and years i mean on the one hand he was a force so people respected his game very early on even if you didn't like his game like even if you were like you know oh this guy's such a jerk or this guy's you know whatever insufferable i don't really want to deal with this guy and there were a lot of guys like that his game was ridiculous and and his work ethic was ridiculous and those are two things that just traveled um but as far as making building really Solid relationships and making close friendships. I mean, there are a million examples of a a young player who, you know, Shaq takes everyone out for dinner and he shows up a half hour later and gets a table for one with a book. Or when he gets married to Vanessa and Dana Point, he, uh, he invites no one. Most of his teammates don't even know that he's getting married. You know, there are just a lot of examples of a really standoffish. And I don't think, again, I think he was doing what he felt he needed to do. Like this is how he, he was programmed. But it did not go over well. Definitely did not.
1: But his dad wasn't, I mean, I remember the the tail end of Joe Bryant's career with the 76ers before he went over to Europe. His dad wasn't like that, was he?
0: No, he wasn't actually. Um, but his dad also taught him some things about about the life in the NBA and sort of, again, you do have to protect what's yours. And I think one thing athletes don't realize, most athletes don't realize, but athletes maybe with famous fathers do, is how going into the NBA really is going to Alliance Cage. And the minute you get there, there's someone's looking to replace you. And the minute you get there, someone's looking to show they're better than you. It's just a giant reality TV survival show. And I do think Kobe understood that early on. He, his basic thing was, these guys aren't your sorry, these guys aren't your buddies. They're not your friends are not your schoolmates. You're not going to the prom. Like, you were there to beat them and dominate them and show that you were better than them. And I do think his dad really instilled that in him, even though his dad had a nicer disposition.
1: All right, obviously, Kobe and uh, Shaq and Phil are, are the protagonists in this book. I do want to ask... Um, did your timeline, or, or maybe the better question is, how did your timeline to get this book out change um, with Kobe's tragic passing earlier this year?
0: Um, it didn't. I, um, I was pretty adamant. You know, we had discussions a few weeks after Kobe died. What do you did? Do you push it back? The main discussion was, do we push it back, move it back? Maybe people aren't ready. I just thought nine months was a pretty long time to put a book out that was done. Um, with sincerity it wasn't it was anything but you know those cringy quick we got to get this book out because kobe bryant died kind of books which do exist and this was something i worked on for a long time it was really well developed it was you know reported as hard as i've ever reported a book so there was never a talk about moving it up i just think that would be disgusting um i don't think you anyone's i just don't believe in taking advantage of someone's death like that um And ultimately, we left it where it was and hope hope that it's okay.
1: Curious to know, how different was your approach putting this book together as opposed to when you wrote Showtime a few years back?
0: Um, It was different. The the NBA landscape has really changed when it comes to media. It's gotten a lot harder. Um, The access isn't as great. The teams aren't as helpful. It's a lot more agent-driven. And I did find that with my reporting too, you know, when I did the first book, the Lakers had a different public relations person. The guy was great. And access was amazing. He couldn't have been helpful, more helpful, more friendly. And it felt a little more like there was a brick wall put up when I was working on this. And that definitely made it a little harder. Um, so you just put your head down and you just go even harder, but it definitely wasn't as easy. It was a much hard. It's probably the hardest book
1: I've ever written. Well, I loved it. I love the metaphors, by the way, uh, Mario Bennett, a cucumber sponges, intellect, things I, I never thought I would ever read before um, or, or see anywhere. Benoit Benjamin, uh, oh, Benoit Benjamin, a sage basketball guru, uh, Patrick Ewing's scal froze bro- boiling water. I, I, I thought these were tremendous images. Um, the 2002 final Lakers against the Nets, you um, compared to eating at Burger King following a nine-course bonanza at Per Se.
0: Um I have been to Per Se one time when yeah. I got really lucky. And uh, I will say the the new Impossible Whopper is not very good, but it it's okay. It's okay. So maybe maybe in a way playing the Nets, is that's not such an insult to the Nets because it's just like <laughs> eating an Impossible Whopper when you're really hungry.
1: Now, you also reminded me that Kobe was this close to actually being drafted by the Nets. And I'm curious to know what you think about how, his career might have turned out different. Obviously the talent was there, but would we have ever seen it elevate to the level it did? Were he playing for the net or had he started his career as a net in the shadow of what was then a pretty good Knicks team too?
0: It seems unlikely. It just seems like he would have been playing for John Calipari. He would have been surrounded by a lot of indifference. I don't know. I, it easily could have been – I could easily see a situation where John, where John Calipari drafts Kobe Bryant for the Nets. He realizes quickly that this is his most talented player, inserts him in the starting lineup. Fans start flocking because there's this high school kid in the starting lineup. He's surrounded by Ed O'Bannon and Khalid Reeves. He's hawking shots left and right. He doesn't play any defense. He's kind of getting abused. He gets in these habits. And before long, we're looking at a, a poor man's Carmelo Anthony. Like, I just think situations matter. And he was drafted into the perfect situation, um, you know, by the Lakers.
1: All right. Before we move on and talk about some some general things about this book, um, what do you suppose Kobe and Shaq's relationship was like at this time last year?
0: I think it was improved. I, they were never close. And that's not even – that's not an insult. Like, they just weren't close. They weren't buddy-buddy. But they definitely had repaired it and gotten past the hostilities and, and um, were checking in on each other about their kids and stuff like that. So it wasn't, and they weren't, they weren't buddy-buddy. They were never going to be buddy-buddy. But I think they had a nice relationship where they could attend things together and get along. It kind of reminded me, to me honestly, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers after okay. time passed. And you realize, you know what, we did experience this thing together. We have this unique tie. It doesn't mean we have to go fishing together, hunting together, or go to movies together. We have this bond. I think that's what Shaq and Kobe had was a bond over shared experience.
1: Uh Jeff, without giving anything away, who was your favorite interview subject when you put this book together?
0: I would probably be former Laker J.R. Ryder, who uh <laughs> well I drove to his house unexpectedly and knocked on his door because I didn't have a phone number. And after honestly thought he was thinking he was gonna hit me with a pipe, we ended up speaking for about two hours and he was just a joy. So I really enjoyed J.R. Ryder of all people. Least favorite? Oh, um, I don't know really, I'm not being a jerk. If anyone gave me, I mean, there are people who blew me off, like Ron Harper blew me off, Horace Grant kind of didn't return my phone calls. I have no beef with them. But those are the experiences that you find frustrating. But if anyone gave me time, even if it's five minutes, I'm happy to take
1: it. Yeah, speaking of which, um, I know you've been keeping track of how many outlets you have spoken to in, uh, in promoting this new endeavor of yours. What's the count? as of this morning
0: okay so here's what i have to tell you you're my favorite by far but (laughs) you are number you are number 119 but you're my favorite
1: 119 i think is a prime number so i'll take it yes i'll take it um in all seriousness why did you write this book i know it wasn't to be on on the mark
0: that is just not true i then the number one reason i wrote it is um I'm a fan of characters, of big characters, of interesting characters. When you're writing a book, you're always searching for them. You're hoping they're there. They not only help sort of with the writing, but they help with the promotion of the book and sort of people want to hear stories. And, and, you know, I've written about Walter Payton and Brett Favre, singular characters, but here you really have three icons in one building. You know, you have Shaq, you have Kobe, you have Phil. That's an amazing sort of trio to write about. So when I thought about that and I thought about the time period, and the success they had, it just seemed like a really good topic.
1: Speaking of characters, anyone ever in the history of sports more audacious than said Sabalos? Calling he did nickname himself, himself Chice.
0: He nicknamed himself Chice for, short for franchise, because he thought after Magic left, he was the franchise, basically standard bear for the Lakers. And my favorite quote was that he had a teammate named Corey Blount, who said to me, his reaction was, yeah, buddy, you roll with that. Like, It was the most ridiculous. He was just a good NBA player. He was anything but a Chice. And if you're going to be a Chice, you don't nickname yourself Chice. It's actually the Cats 22. They should have a test at the door. If you nickname yourself Chice, you are not our franchise
1: player. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What did you learn about Phil Jackson that you didn't know before?
0: Um, You know, I spent eight hours with him in Montana, one of the coolest days of reporting. And um, I'd say two things I learned. Number one, he's an incredible, incredible Montana travel guide. Like if you wanted to go to Montana and hire someone to take you on a day and point out all the sort of sights and sounds, Phil Jackson is your guy. And the other thing I learned is um, I think what made him really great as a coach, especially during those years with the Lakers, when he just really struggled with Kobe Bryant, like really struggled with Kobe Bryant, is he knew how to delegate within the locker room. And there are always guys like Ron Harpers and Horace Grants and Derek Harpers and John Sallies and on and on and on, guys who... um he could turn to and say, look, could you what's it what's the post on this and what's going on with this? And can you talk to this? And the worst thing you can be as an NBA coach is a babysitter. No players want a babysitter. And he wasn't. Um, and I just think that was really smart the way he handled things.
1: For the Knicks fans among us, why didn't his tenure work in charge of the Knicks? Because you gotta be all in. First
0: of all, you have to be all in, and I don't think he was. And number two, James Dolan is a walking bomb. Like it's just it's like Dan playing for Daniel Snyder. People have asked decades and decades in, why doesn't it work for the Redskins? Why doesn't it work for the Knicks? Because their egos out, outweigh their, you know, any sort of sensibilities. And they're two guys who want to be famous, aren't famous for anything but owning sports teams and lather in that. And almost it almost seems like they'd rather lose famously than win with respect. So the Knicks haven't been worth a thing since James Dolan has been the owner.
1: I wish we could go on for an hour but uh we have to wrap up because i know you're pressed for time as you make the uh, media gauntlet today three ring circus kobe shack phil and the crazy years of the laker dynasty you have been offering incentives mr perlman to folks who buy the book so uh i'll give you a chance to make a pitch um and explain to the listeners uh, exactly what they'll get oh aside yeah, well, from the book
0: i stole this idea from another author named molly knight that i actually like it's uh you know if you if you if you buy the book and send me a screenshot either to my Twitter handle, which is at Jeff Perlman or my email, which is angold gold 22 and N G O L D 22 at Gmail. I, you know, I send you a signed book plate and I send you a bunch of Laker stickers and it's just something to put in the book and something to have along with the book. And it makes me feel like a telemarketer, but it's, you know, people are like engaging with writers and with people who, you know, I just enjoy, I honestly, I enjoy engaging with readers. And if people write me and have questions about the book, I'm always happy to answer. So,
1: and the book is great, and I appreciated the one reference to your hometown of Mayapak.
0: There are more than you th- you know in that book. There's only I, one obvious I, one.
1: I found one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There are multiple. <laughs> and 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 tell me real quick if you can, uh, th- this, this guy who uh, th- with your your buddy as a kid with the the whole kiss fiasco.
0: Oh, that was my I dedicated the book to Gary. So Gary Miller was my neighbor and best friend growing up. And one day we got in a real fight. We were very young and we were playing the Rock Band Kiss. And he was being a real jerk about it because he, uh, he insisted on being Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And why did I get stuck being East Freely and Peter Chris? So we got in a fight and he chased me and actually accidentally ran through a window in my house and shattered the window. And I still think it was really crappy of Gary Miller to insist on being both Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. It was just greedy.
1: This is not the Gary Miller that we know from broadcasting, right? This is a different Gary Miller.
0: This is a Gary Miller who fishes very well in North Carolina.
1: (laughs) Well, you and I have something else in common. I also once upon a time ran through, I would say it was a screen door window.
0: You shouldn't have insisted on being Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley.
1: No, I don't even remember why. Somebody was chasing me though. And I I have no idea. Anyway, listen, this was great. I'm sorry we didn't have more time, but uh, I'm glad you had time today to stop by talking about Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Lakers dynasty. Uh, I'm looking forward to whatever's next from you, sir. What is next, by the way?
0: My next book uh, I just started working on is a Bo Jackson biography.
1: Is it Bo Knows dot, dot, dot something?
0: Uh, I can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> gotta avoid the cliche best i can but uh I'm, if you have I'm a right. title i'm always looking i'm always looking okay.
1: all right well you're you're creative enough to come up with something way better than that uh, thank you so much appreciate the time that is the great author jeff perlman i'm mark or and you're on the mark